God of praise for his goodness, his love, and his mercy. Thank you, God. God of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time. With no point of reference, you spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of light. And as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born in the vapor of your breath. So will I. I can see your heart in everything you made. Every burning star, a signifier of grace. If creation sings your praises, so will I. Just can't. 
Give him praise this morning. Amen. Amen. Before you're seated this morning in the sanctuary, I want to invite anybody who wants to come up for prayer. Doesn't matter what kind of burden that you carry, or maybe you want to pray for someone. Maybe you need to praise the Lord. Uh, we've been praising him, but sometimes to come up and to give him praise, uh, that's something else. And we want to invite people to come up. Of course, we want to welcome our uh, visitors and thank you for being here with us this morning. Uh, this is a familiar place for us, a place of prayer. So if you want to come and pray, uh, nobody will look down their nose at you at all. This is a, a place where we, we know that this is, uh, we get help in our time of need. And we also like to call up the children. We're going to pray a blessing over you. You may be seated in the sanctuary if you're able to. Lord, this morning we come to you in the name of Jesus and we thank you for this time that you have allowed, that you have blessed us with. And we have the honor and the privilege to be in your presence, to enter into your throne room, that we might be made whole. And as the woman who had the issue of blood would think in her mind, if I could only just touch the hem of his garment, then I could be made whole. We understand, Lord God, that we are indeed made whole when we come into your presence. And we thank you, God, then this morning that we are your children, that you are our God. And we've come in this place to worship you, to magnify your great name, to lift you up above all other things and all other relationships, all of possessions and, and all the things that we have over and above every thought every emotion. God, this morning you are at the highest place in our hearts and in this place. We've come to worship you, Lord, and we thank you for being here. Your spirit is what we need. We thank you that you're going to do a mighty thing in this time that we have together this morning. We want to lift up the needs of our church, God, and we know that while a human being can't know all the needs, we know that you know all those needs. You know where people are. You know what they struggle through. You know whether they're having marriage issues or financial problems. Maybe there's an individual who needs a healing. God, there's people sometimes that when they come in, they don't even know why. They just have a heaviness. They just kind of come in with some kind of a funk. And God, they don't know how to define it. But regardless of who an individual might be, what those needs might entail, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come into this place and would do a mighty work, that people would be able to know that they've been with the living God. The people they came are not going to be the people they leave. And we'll be able to attribute that to your great power, that your mighty hand has come and, and ministered to the needs across the board. And so we thank you in advance, Lord. We thank you for the good thing that you've begun, and we know that you're faithful to complete. For these little ones, God, I thank you for their passion, their exuberance, their innocence, their willingness to let walls, in fact, they don't even know what walls are. In fact, walls are to be climbed. In their minds, everything is fun and everything is exciting. And what's the next adventure? And man, Jesus, you said we should be like these. That unless we're like these little ones, we won't inherit the kingdom of God. I thank you for them, the example, the most powerful sermons that they preach. 
as we watch them, as we witness how they act and what they do. God, bless them. Through your servants, those children's workers who give their best every single Sunday, every single Wednesday, all the times that they minister to our children. We thank you for them and we ask for the anointing of your Holy Spirit to be upon them so that more of just having fun and they're gonna have fun, that they'll have a, a very profitable time, that they'd be able to understand and perceive in their way who you are to them. And so we're grateful for that children's ministry. And as we have our time together in here, Lord, we pray that your anointing would fall fresh upon us. And your word, we know that when it's proclaimed, when it's preached, when it's taught, that it never returns back to you void, but that it will accomplish everything that you want it to accomplish in us and through us. So we thank you in advance for that. And as the ushers then are coming forward, and it's time to receive tithes and offerings, we thank you for all the good things that you've done in our lives, which you've provided for us. And even those of us that might be struggling financially, that we realize that we have what we need. And so we pray, God, that you give, uh, give a, a special blessing, uh, a special uh, a thumbs up, a smile of favor upon each gift and each giver that you use it to glorify your great name and to advance forcefully your kingdom. For we pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen, amen and amen. All right, kiddos, we'll see you later. Well, it's good to be with all of you this morning. I hope you're well. hope that as you're able to come into the sanctuary and, and we're able to praise and worship him, that you can sense that God is getting ready to, uh, to do a great thing here in our church. My name is Steve Sanchez. I'm the lead pastor here at Waco Community Fellowship. And we want to take the time to recognize our visitors this morning. If you're visiting for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're back. And uh, we want to let you know that other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself, you're the most important people here in this place. And so if you don't feel that, well, then that falls on us and we got to do a better job. But I don't think that happened. And uh, so we do want to take that time to welcome you to God's house. And uh, there's some special people here with us this morning that I'd like to recognize right now. And that would be our district superintendent and his lovely wife, Dr. Jeffrey Johnson, and his wife, Julie. And we want to recognize you with applause. We're glad you're here this morning. And I'm not saying this because they're here. I'm saying this because it's the truth. I've had the pleasure of serving under many uh, district superintendents. And um, you guys are real, and it's a pleasure to serve with you. And uh, to, to come under your leadership has been easy donuts. And uh, we're so grateful for you. And I've asked Dr. Johnson to come up and share some things with us. And so, Dr. Johnson, come on up and, and share something that uh, God put on your heart. Amen. That should be on. It's great to be with you this morning.
Church of the Nazarene across South Texas, and we're kind of at the top of the line right here. That's where Waco is, at the top. And uh, you kind of do a, a line across the state from here, and all the area below that would be our territory where those churches are gathered. Can I see if this is working? Is it maybe? Maybe? Oh, it's, there we go. Do I need to repeat all that? I mean, only if you'd like to. You got time. (laughs) No, I think we're good. Um, I I look uh, around um, and travel around the state so much and are with with people, uh, all different colors and races and backgrounds that are in our churches and just see God doing so many good things. I believe that our God is the God who does new things. And when God does new things, it doesn't mean that the old things are bad. It just means he's a God that's continually creating and continually restoring and renewing. And we all want that in our lives. And I see new things happening, new signs of life in, in our existing congregations where God is, is uh, raising up people, people being saved, people being baptized, people being called into ministry, people stepping out into their community and ministering to the hurting and the broken and the lost and the hungry and see so many good things like that happening. I see new leaders being raised up. Uh, we have a number of people in our district school of ministry and also just see people in their congregation stepping up alongside their pastors to say, how can we make a bigger impact in our community in the name of Jesus? And we have new congregations being started. And we know that new congregations, new churches are an extremely effective way to reach new people uh, with the gospel. And even right down I-35 uh, in Gerald, we have a new congregation that's just beginning and other churches are partnering to sponsor that. And that's a beautiful thing. And we've got exciting new plans ahead about more congregations being started. But uh, most of all, I'm just thankful today to be with you and to experience what God is doing here and just pray that God will continue to bless you and use you and bring you together and unite him and his love and the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Pastor Steve, for letting us share and be here this morning. We bless you in Jesus' name. I particularly like uh, Dr. Johnson's hairdo. I love it. I think it's outstanding. In fact, he's turned me on to this one uh, contraption that it looks like, a, like an ATV vehicle. It's got two wheels and then a razor on the front. And I, I've not ventured out that much yet. I'm not brave enough to do that. But I saw a YouTube video where they were advertising this contraption. It's like this, I mean, it just basically just roll it on there, I guess. And then, and then you know, you could put some lather on there, I guess, but you, you kind of just rub it like that and it just shaves it lickety split. And uh, the guy on the YouTube video, I mean, he, there wasn't any blood or anything like that. And, and so that was good. You know, I guess if you're going to advertise something like that, you don't want to, you know, display anything like that. Uh, but I mean, the guy did it like in five minutes. I mean, and he wasn't, you know, excessively fat. He's just going, and so uh, pray for your pastor, because if I get one of those things, you know, come with all kinds of band-aids on my head and whatever else. So uh, anyway, enough of that. We're glad you guys are here. We're glad that you all are here, and together we're going to get into God's Word. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to the Gospel of uh, Matthew, and uh, we've been in the teachings and the miracles of Jesus, just kind of going through the Gospels, and how rich and how good uh, are the stories and the teachings and the healings of Jesus. And uh, if you're ever wondering where you should read in your devotional time, and by the way, to digress just a tad, make sure that you have a devotional time that you get with the Lord on a daily basis. If you don't have a devotional time, you're, you're just uh, 
barely on the surface and getting ready to sink. You need to have alone time with God that's regular and consistent and, and, uh, and, and alive. And so if you're ever at a point where you wonder where should I read, the Gospels are a great place to just, just read about Jesus, you know. That's the best place to start. And uh, so, you know, if, if that's who you are, if I'm talking to you this morning, tomorrow, uh, when you get up in the morning, get in the Gospels. And uh, sometimes what I do with the Gospels, I just kind of just go to different places. I might just ro- open it up randomly and say, okay, this is where I'm going to read today. And I've never been disappointed. It's just that good. So this morning, we're going to be in a parable, uh, one of the teachings of Jesus, found in chapter 21. So we're in Matthew chapter 21. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along or you can just listen. And I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation this morning. So in verse 28, it's the parable of the two sons. Many of us have read this, are familiar with it. We're going to talk about it this morning kind of in a practical way where you're able to kind of, uh, you know, put it in your own life and examine where you are and kinds of things God would speak to you. Be open, you know, no matter what God wants to ever say to you, just be open. That's the best thing that we can ever do as his creation, as his children, that we'd be people that were open to whatever God wants to say. And uh, sometimes it's a big old fat hug around the neck, and sometimes it might be a kick in the shorts. But, you know, somewhere in between, uh, we don't know what God does, but he knows better. How many guys agree with that this morning, that God knows better than I do? You know, if we would be those people that would just grab a hold of what God is saying, I think we'd be better off. In fact, I know we would. And so that's where we'll be today. The parable of the two sons. Here's what it says. But what do you think about this? A man with two sons told the older boy, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. The son answered, no, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and went away or went anyway. Then the father told the other son, you go. And he said, yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. Which of the two obeyed his father? They replied, the first. Then Jesus explaining his meaning, I tell you the truth, corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. For John the Baptist came and showed the right way to live, but you didn't believe him, while tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe him and repent of your sins. How many of you love the way that Jesus kind of just throws it out there? Anybody? You know, and, it, and it's one thing to say, I love the way that Jesus is when he says these kinds of things, because we have to kind of almost draw the picture of what's really happening, right? I mean, he has a live audience. These people are there gathered, kind of like we're gathered today, together today. And uh, so people are listening, people are watching. There's a lot of stimuli going on there. There's some people that really support him. There's some people that really hate him. There's some people that kind of haven't really decided what they want to do with Jesus. And sometimes in a service like this one, you have people the same way. You know, there's some people that really love what God is doing. They're excited about what he's uh, taking the church. And then there's some people that really just don't like it. And then there's some people that haven't decided. You have a lot of that going on every single Sunday that you gather together. And I love as a pastor then kind of reading the passages and, and studying them and thinking about not only how it related back then, but of course how it relates today. And then, of course, we talk about what it means for a group of people, but then there's always the way that Jesus speaks. And what happens invariably is that he's going to talk to the individual, right? We're all aware of that one, that as much as he talks about a corporate body or a corporate gathering of people, he talks to individuals specifically. And, uh, And for sure, his words then penetrate our hearts as individual people. 
And so it's just this, this kind of a no-nonsense approach that Jesus takes. He doesn't mess around with words. He's not going to uh, say something that you just wonder about, that there's ambiguity there, and you think, I wonder what that, what that meant. I wonder what he was trying to say here. Uh, I like that kind of straightforward approach. Uh, when I was coming up in the faith, I had the kind of pastor that you basically just, you knew what he was saying because he wasn't going to play around. If I was being selfish or self-absorbed, I had a pastor would say, you're being selfish and you're self-absorbed. And I didn't walk away from those kinds of meetings wondering what he meant. I knew exactly what he was trying to say. And, and you know, to be honest with you, if we're not able to communicate in a way where everybody can understand, well, then what are we even doing? You know what I mean? Because people aren't going to have the opportunity to be set free. Jesus said about the truth is the truth is what sets people free, right? It's not my personality. It's not my colorful words. It's not my personality. It's not charisma. Here's what sets people free. Truth. And Jesus then, every time that he preaches, every time he teaches, he's going to speak in a way where you're not going to walk away from that place wondering what he meant, wondering what he was trying to say. Even to take it a step further, Jesus says about, uh, about how we talk and how we communicate, he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, that everything else that comes from the devil. Have you ever wondered about what that even means? You know, like your yes be yes and your no be no. I have a two-word vocabulary and that's all I do in life. And that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that you better mean what you say and say what you mean. That everything else, when, it, when it's amb ambiguous and we're wondering about what something could have meant, this is where the devil lurks, where there's going to be a confusion, right? Because the devil is the author of confusion. And so if the body of believers, when we meet together and we don't have any clue at all what the pastor's trying to say or what the Bible study teacher's trying to say, or if you're a discipler or you're a mentor and you meet with somebody individually and you meet and talk with them and they don't know what you're talking about, that people walk away wondering what in the world does that even mean? How many of us have ever been confused about something that we shouldn't be confused about? And then all of a sudden, then the devil's working overtime just in the corner, just beaten on some miscommunication. Anybody ever been there? I imagine probably as a district superintendent, that kind of thing happens. You walk away from a meeting with a pastor or a congregation and you communicated clearly and you think, hey, we really hammered that one home. There's no way they misunderstood that one. And then all of a sudden, all heck's breaking loose and you're thinking, wait a minute, I didn't, you know, what happened there? That happens in all of our relationships. That happens with, with church. And for sure, it can happen in God's word. Let me just give you a nugget this morning. It's not even part of the sermon, but it's free for you. Don't be afraid to give truth. Amen. Don't be afraid of the repercussions of giving truth. Without truth, there's not any way that anybody's going to be set free. If you walk away from some kind of a, a, a meeting where truth has to be communicated and it doesn't end well, have you ever been a part of those kinds of meetings? You had to say something to somebody where there was going to be uh, some hard truth communicated and man, Brother Charles, I had to lay it on the line, man. Brother Charles didn't want to hear that. He didn't like it. He hurt his feelings. But we walk away from that, that meeting. Brother Charles is left alone with the truth. And God can begin to use the truth in a way to bring Brother Charles closer to himself. Don't ever struggle with giving truth. Give truth and trust God. 
Because that's the only way that God can begin to change us, change people, is when truth is laid out on the line. So like I said, that one was free. Let's get into the text. I like verse 28 here at the beginning. He says, but what do you think? I like how Jesus can entrust a, a truth. And then, because it's a personal relationship that we have with him, that we can process through that truth with him. What do you think? How do you process through this? Through our time together this morning, how will you allow God, together with him, you know, in the Old Testament, and when we read the account of Adam and Eve, the Bible talks about that the man would walk in the cool of the evening with God. We don't have that in Texas, South Texas in the summer, but the cool of the evening. And you walk with God, and in times like this, you can walk with him, and he's going to ask you, what do you think about this? Sometimes I even grab a hold of a thought like this. God's saying to me, what are you going to do with this? How are you going to internalize this? And how are you going to process through it with me? I like that. You know, in our own right, we're theologians. You have a brain that God gave you. You have the benefit of experience. You have the Holy Spirit to help you rightly divide the word. What do you think? What will you do with this? How will you process what I'm about to tell you? A man with two sons told the older boy, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. And the son answered, no, I won't go. How many of you have children like this? <laughs> I, I have two sons. And sometimes we have this happening. We have where they have a job. How many of you guys have a dog? Anybody have dogs? Well, they do stuff in the backyard. And when they got old enough, that was one of those chores that I didn't have to do anymore. Praise the Lord. So... My wife working in the medical field, I don't even know where she got these gloves, but she has these medical rubber gloves, and we have these handy-dandy Walmart bags. And so we say, okay, boys, it's time for you to go in the backyard, because dad needs to mow, and I don't want to step in stuff. So your job, I can't do my job until you do your job. So Ezra says, sure, dad, I'll, I'll go, I'll do it. And Silas is like, well, it's kind of hot outside and I kind of really don't want to go and, and I'd rather play inside or he doesn't say it this way because he knows that doesn't work in the house, but that's really what he's saying. And so what happens is that they go outside and one of them brings a big bag and the other one doesn't bring such a big bag. And the other day I had a, 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 a thought. I said, okay, well, the one who brings the bigger bag will get some kind of a prize or a reward. So unbeknownst to them, they come in and one brings a big bag and the other one brings a small bag and so the one gets a $20 bill and the other one doesn't get anything. That's not fair. 
Imagine it probably would have changed if they would have known beforehand that they were going to get a reward. Might have been evened out or maybe the other one might have had a bigger one. I, I really don't know. There's a point to the story. I promise it's going somewhere. I have two sons. And there are so many times where there's this uh, willingness in front of their dad to go and give them an answer that they want, uh, some kind of a, of a, a thumbs up, of an approval that I'll do it and it's exciting. And then they just don't follow through with it. As a dad, I relate to this story on so many levels. As a pastor, I for sure relate to this story on a lot of levels. As Christians, we can relate to this kind of a story, absolutely. And Jesus says that this father goes to his two sons and he wants them to work in the vineyard. And this first son says, I'm going to go, I'm going to do it. I, you can count on me to get it done. I'll go to the vineyard and I'll take care of business. The scripture says that after he leaves or after he's not there in their, in their presence, that he goes and he, does, he does, some, does something else and he refuses to work in the vineyard. Who are these people? Who is Jesus talking about this morning? If you read the story in the, the entirety of the chapter, what you have in this is there's religiosity. There are people who uh, are teachers of the law. There, there's Pharisees there. Uh, there's these people that have, have uh, a, a knowledge of God. And they, they know the, the writings of the prophets and, and the law. And, and they know it like the back of their hand. They probably know it better then Christians know their Bibles. These are people who are sharp. These are people who are very much well-received and, and honored by the people. And they're present. Like we were talking about a little ago, that when Jesus begins to speak, that all these people are present. Now, as he's speaking this parable... And I believe all the parables that he spoke, that every time that he was communicating something, that there was this thought, is this me? Maybe there's even some whispering. Now, in that crowd, those, those people would have been together. If there was the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they would have been real clicky. Now, you see this in churches too, by the way. Every, every church I've ever pastored, you'll have a group of people that maybe they have some kind of an agenda Whatever the agenda might be, it doesn't matter what that is. If there's a, a committee of people that don't like the way the pastor dresses, they sit over here on this side maybe, and they sit together because they're common. They, they kind of have a commonality. If there's a group of people that don't like the worship, they might sit over here on this side, and they kind of, and so because they sit together, then when maybe we're uh, preaching or there's teaching or there's some kind of a, a point made in the preaching, then all of a sudden you'll see whispers I guarantee that these kinds of things were going on as Jesus is speaking about this son who says, yes, I'll go, and then he doesn't go. And immediately, probably in their, in their cliques with their agendas, they're thinking, is he talking about us? Could this be us? There's a difference. Listen, you might want to even think about this, maybe write it down. There's a difference between good introspection and bad introspection. The good introspection is the kind of looking into oneself, being honest about who we are. 
Is that difficult for church people sometimes? When the word of God comes and we've heard a story a hundred times, a thousand times, we've been in the church for a thousand years. We went to church with Moses. We've heard all the stories. We've gone to all the revivals. We have experiences. And there are times where when we, if we're not careful that we're not open to good, honest introspection. And there's, there's this kind of a spiritual pride that can, can penetrate where we don't even sometimes realize about spiritual pride that we have it. It's in times like these ones where if we can look in the mirror, you know, the, I've done it a, a million times when I read the Gospels and I read the accounts of the, of the parables and there's the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and there they are. And they had equal opportunity to repent. You ever thought about that? Because Jesus died on the cross, not only for the people uh, that, you know, that embraced his teachings. How many realize that Jesus died on the cross for the Pharisees and the teachers of the law as well? Have you ever thought about why he is so direct? Sometimes he's even harsh. A person could even think he's mean-spirited. You don't think that? It's kind of hard to kind of disconnect uh, the loving Jesus that we sing about and how kind and he is kind and how loving and he is loving and how merciful and he is merciful and how full of grace that he is and he is full of grace. Of course, those things, the church has no problem believing those things. But Jesus was truthful and sometimes Jesus was harsh. And yes, he could absolutely be perceived as mean-spirited. You don't think that? Look at this. I tell you the truth, corrupt tax collectors. Like it's not enough to be a tax collector. He's got to throw corrupt on there. How many of you guys saw that? <laughs> corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. How many of you guys would feel special and warm inside? Couldn't Jesus have been a little bit easier here? Like, couldn't he have been a little bit more general? You know, uh, I've had people before in churches where, where you preach and then the, the hard truth comes out, you know, because sometimes the truth is hard and it's hard to hear. Sometimes it hits you kind of just, yeah. And somebody will say, Pastor, it seemed like you were looking in, in my direction a little bit more and you were looking in any other direction. In these lights, I can't even see your faces, so I, don't, I can kind of pick you out. But the Holy Spirit has a way of just kind of just dealing with us. And when he says something, it's not, it's not going to be easy if you have to change it. I don't believe the Holy Spirit does this like the politicians do. He doesn't do that. The Holy Spirit goes like this. He does that. Uh, uh. We got to deal with the truth. And it's going to sting sometimes. If we would embrace that truth, it would be good for us. We could get healing in our lives. So there's the good kind of introspection. 
good kind of introspection is that good introspection where we look into our lives and we say, God, you know me better than anyone else. The things that are deep down inside, the attitudes and dispositions that I have that nobody knows, you know. And this morning or this evening or uh, today or through this passage or through this sermon or whatever it is that you do when you get with God, that when he puts his finger on something that you're open this morning, would you say about your own life, no matter who you are, no matter how long you've been in the faith, all of us included, the guy talking included, that we'd say, Lord, you know what? I need to be honest. I need to be open. I need to let the walls come down. I need to let you do what you do best. I need, I need to let you come in and deal with me. Here's a second kind of introspection. It's not a good one. It's rooted in self-denial. When we have self-inspection inspection or introspection, and we've already made up our minds that we're good, the Holy Spirit can come and he can present that reflection that's the true reflection of who we are, the way that God sees us. And in, in light of that fact, by the way, it is a fact. It is a, a hard, cold truth that when God puts reflection, it supersedes what we think about ourselves or some kind of an image that we project that people think about us. That what God thinks about us supersedes all of those things. So when he puts that true reflection... If you come in with a closed-off approach, if your, your mindset and your heart is hardened against truth, then you're not going to be able to embrace that truth for the purposes of being able to see God and to know God and to grow in your faith. And these are, these, the churches are full of people like this. It doesn't matter whether they're Nazarene. It doesn't matter if they're Baptist. It doesn't matter if they're Methodist or Lutheran or non-denominational. Jesus was dealing with people in his day that were these people. They come in to hear his teaching like we're going to inspect and, and, and try to dissect every single component of it to try to tear it down, to try to discredit it. It's possible that maybe there's people that came into the service this morning this way. You come into Bible studies this way. And you want to nitpick every single thing. And it's rooted in self-denial. It's rooted in, in, in um, spiritual pride. And I'm going to tell you that the only person that you're damaging is yourself. If we would be open to what God has for our lives, if we would just let the walls come down. I told somebody the other day, you know who the revival starters are? The revival starters are the people who have been in the church for thousands of years who have seen God move over generations. These are the ones that have been entrusted revelation after revelation after revelation. And these are the people with all of that knowledge and all of that experience are the hum humblest people on the planet. Is that a word, humblest? Most humble, how about that? See, we, we've proven the point. If you're nitpicking my grammar, well, then maybe you're missing the point. 
I used to have a uh, professor in, at UNM, and he'd say if they understood you, it was good grammar. He wasn't uh, an English professor. But I'm telling you guys, these people start revivals. These are the folks that, maybe we haven't seen them come to an altar in forever. And all of a sudden, there's these walls that come down, and there's this willingness to let God move in them. They're well-respected in the church. See, they're pillars in the church. These are folks that have been, you know, uh, in the church since we were in the nursery. We came up and we've respected them and we've honored them. We've fought the world of them. They hang the moon. And with that knowledge and with that experience and and being well-respected and all that, we just have not used those resources to promote the kingdom. Instead, we've kind of almost just sat back and we've kind of sat on the bench and not gotten in the game. And so then these people decide out of humility, you know what, it's time for me to actually, uh, not as a show or a display, that, not for the sake of that, but because it's authentic and it's real, it's organic, and they, they come and they break before the Lord. And all of a sudden when you say in your mind, listen, if that person could break, if that person could humble themselves, if that person could come to an altar, if this person could be someone who would, who would humble not only themselves before the Lord, but before men, then maybe there's a, a room for me at the altar. There's a place for me to let God's word come into my heart and to change me. This is what starts revivals, you guys. But if we have that bad self-introspection, the kind that says, I've already looked in the mirror and I'm good to go, I don't have any changing to do, well, then we're going to keep getting what we've been getting in the church. But if every single individual begins to say, you know, honestly, authentically. I'm going to let God do what needs to be done. I don't care about anybody else. I'm going to let him do what he needs to do in me. Let him do a new work in me. When's the last time that you let God do a new work in you? I'm not talking about something old and stale. Something fresh. Something different. Have you noticed about Samsung and Apple as they go back and forth? There's always a new thing. They go from 10. I mean, Apple even skipped nine. They went from eight to 10. They're like, if it wasn't enough for us to go to nine, let's just go to 10. Forget it. We're going to go to 10. These, these engineers are constantly looking for the next best thing, the next new thing. Could you imagine if they decided that they're going to come up, come, come up with an iPhone 11 and they said, okay, with an iPhone 11, it's going to do everything that the 10 does except we're just putting an 11 on it. There's no way. I mean, I don't even know what a phone, what other thing a phone could actually do. I mean, like these, and, but they're going to think about it. They're going to figure it out. And you know what we do? I got to go get one. I mean, these people camp out, you know? They're on a long waiting list because they want to be, get the next thing, the, the best thing. And in the church, we're not those people about our faith. And we think we're, we're happy with the iPhone 4. You know what? Some people have a, a, a flip phone. I'm not going to even look in anybody's direction. I'll just look up here. There are people that have a rotary phone. You're happy with your rotary phone. 
Now, of course, from, from, from a functionality standpoint, of course, I mean, yes, you can make a phone call. But I'm telling you, when you're able to look at some of the things that these phones do and you think, I could use that. That would be helpful to me. I need to go invest in one of those things because I'd like to perform this function with it. I think about God with, with his church and he thinks, you know, I, I, of course we have church and it's great and we sing songs and we, we have fellowship and we do potlucks and all that. But man, what I could do with my church if people would just humble themselves, if people would be open to my moving in them and through them. We can move on to the 11 and the 12 and the 20. And we never even dreamed that a phone could do something. Could you imagine what we could dream that the church could do? But without honest introspection, all that's pipe dreams. That's pie in the sky ideals. Yeah, we'd like to be that church pastor. Well, those kinds of churches don't just grow on trees. Those kinds of churches are birthed. That we would let God do a new thing. See, these Pharisees and teachers of the law, they had equal access to the truth. Have you ever thought about that? Every time we preach, every time there's an opportunity for, for church, there are people that leave the church pumped up, excited. I would even try to click my heels, but I won't do that because I'll fall off the stairs. They're excited. They're pumped up. Sometimes they leave with eyes swollen from crying. They had a real time with God, you know. They're, they're on cloud nine. And it was the same sermon. And there are some people that are leaving absolutely aggravated and upset and mad. How does that work? Everybody had equal access. Isn't that crazy? In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, there's a question that the Apostle Paul poses. He says, who is equal to such a task? How is it that some people could regard the gospel as a fragrance of life, an aroma of life, and somebody think that it's the stench of death? And he asked, who is equal to such a task if it's not the truth of God? You see, the truth is the truth. If you're a Christian this morning, you love the truth. So if, for instance, we talk about that there's this um, hard thing that we need to talk about, we need to preach. There's some people who say, I love that. That was so good. I needed that. You guys remember the after commercial? Was it after? How many guys in the 70s remember after? I don't even know if they even have after anymore. It was aftershave. You guys remember that? And so they, thanks. I needed that. You guys remember the commercial? Man, you guys. You need to get out more. The truth, I mean, like, for instance, if we were going to talk about, let's say, for instance, we're going to talk about giving. Let's talk tithes and offerings, right? We can talk about tithes and offerings. There's some people in the congregation be like, amen, woo, that was good. One time, Brother Bobby, uh, be working in cameras, I preached pretty hard on giving and tithes and offerings, and probably there was some conviction there and all that kind of thing. And, and he come up to me and he says, Pastor, that's one of the best things I've ever heard on tithes and offerings. You ought to preach that more. 
And then there were, there were other people probably didn't like that too much. It's the same sermon. Same truth. If I was going to talk about something like cigarettes this morning, hey, listen, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You shouldn't be filling yourself with that nastiness. Here's a fallacy about smoking. I heard this from Pastor Bain, my old pastor. I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever heard. He said it directly to a person who was smoking. He says, listen, it's not the cigarette that smokes. Or he says, it's not the, it's not the person who smokes, it's the cigarette. The person's only the sucker. And he told that, that's what he told him. That's what he told him. He told him that. And, 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 and actually what was funny is that the guy laughed about it. And you guys know Pastor Bain. And he could get away with those kinds of things, you know, not get knocked out. You can preach on hard things. You can preach about all kinds of different things in a sermon. And it's truth. And it's biblical truth. And if you're living by the truth, what do you like about the truth? It's because it sets you free. Right? There was honest introspection. The reason you have an appreciation for the truth is because there was honest introspection about, about what God spoke to you. And so in that time when you were crushed in spirit, when you were convicted of the Holy Spirit, it penetrated your heart. You embraced truth, even though it stung, even though it hurt. You embraced it. You put your arms around it. And what happened? God healed you. Amen. So now you have an appreciation for truth. So when you hear it, it's like a magnet. It's like you get sucked in. You love that truth. But if there's not honest introspection, if you're unwilling to grab a hold of truth and allow it to heal you, well, then that truth is going to be a stench of death for you. Get that away from me. I don't want to hear it. I don't want any of that at all around me because it hits too close to home. And you think about this. Grab a hold of something I'm going to say now and think about this. The energy that we spend to run away from truth Think about what, what we have to do to get away from truth, to make sure we don't, we're not around it, to make sure that we don't want to embrace it. I mean, we're just pushing it away, pushing it away, pushing it away, and all that energy that it takes. Could you imagine if you just turned all of that energy to run to truth? Could you imagine that? I've been trying to run away so fast that I'm going to turn around. I, you guys remember Bugs Bunny, Pepe Le Pew? Boing, 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 chasing that poor cat. Am I only, I'm bringing up all the stuff from the 70s and half of you guys are like looking at me like deer in headlights. No matter how fast that cat would run and take off running, here comes that skunk. Boing, 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 and he turned around. He's like, ah! He's just... <laughs> it would have been interesting to see if that cat would have turned around and just... Hug that skunk. Maybe that skunk might have been like oh, in the opposite direction. If we could run the truth, I'm telling you, it's not as bad as the devil paints it. I've never met a person who's embraced truth and regretted it. I've never met the Christian that said, boy, that was a, a big sham. I embraced the truth and man, that really harmed me. I've never met that individual. People celebrate truth and they're excited about truth and you know what's amazing about that truth when you embrace it is that you want more truth the successful athletes and ceos and uh whatever kind of line of work that there is people who who gravitate toward change and and uh, are excited about change that they're not afraid to to innovate these are the ones that make a difference 
And I, and I ask the question as a Christian, do I want to embrace change for my life, even as a pastor? I mean, am I open to change in my life? The way that I preach or the way that I teach, the way that I do discipleship, whatever I do, am I open to it? Lord, may I be open to what you want from my life. If there's honest introspection that I never get closed off from what you want to do in my life. But I'm going to tell you, there's a bad kind of an introspection where you look at yourself and it's not honest and you're closed off and there's pride and there's self-denial. Not self-denial, denial, that's what I meant to say. You know what I was saying. Jesus says these harsh things. He says to the son, go out and work in the vineyard. And he says, no, I'm not going to go. But he changed his mind. Did you catch that? When I was new, and I mean, brand spanking new, just giving my life to Jesus, I had my own ideas about what I thought Christianity was. I mean, I didn't know what the scripture said, or I didn't, but I, I, I kind of had already thought, this is what it's supposed to look like, this is what it's supposed to be. And I went into a Nazarene church, and uh, having been Catholic, I had never been in really a Protestant church um, so I, I, other than when we were teenagers and I'd gone to my wife's, uh, my, at the time, my girlfriend's church. And, but I really, at that time, I didn't have ears to hear, eyes to see. I, I wasn't ready. Now I was a believer. I'd given my life to Christ and I knew I needed to be in church. And I remember coming into the church and I sat in the back and, and this pastor uh, began to talk about Holiness. He's talking about that you could live a holy life. That God could do in our hearts what his word said in the Old Testament that he would do and then the New Testament that we could be. And so he starts talking about holiness and, and I'm back there thinking, no, nobody can be holy. That's not possible. I already had my mind. And, and so my theology at that point, albeit it was limited, I had already thought in my mind that that's not possible. Have you ever been in church and thought, that's not a possibility? That's just not, I mean, I, who can do that? Who can live like that? I remember sitting in the back and I was angry at the pastor. I was mad because I didn't like what he was saying. And I remember I got up from there and I thought, I'll never come back to that church. Because what he was talking about, really what he was saying, is that I was in trouble because I wasn't living a holy life. I, I knew it was, it was a conviction. I didn't recognize what conviction was. So I went home, and you know what I did? I began to just read all the passages that he had cited. And I wanted to get them in context because this pastor obviously didn't know what he was talking about. I was going to prove him wrong, and then we were going to be able to just, you know, let him know. And then he'd say, I have a retraction this Sunday morning. I was wrong. I didn't know what I was saying. But thank God for Steve. Steve showed me the error of my ways, and it was helpful to me, and so now uh, let, me, let me clarify. But you know what happens when you get in God's Word. You begin to read the context. Here's what God does. He's got a sense of humor. He starts to show me in context. 
harsher, more pointed. And I'm like, wait, there's not an out for me. When I came to Jesus, I didn't want to play games with this guy. I wanted real. I just thought in my brain, though, that that's not what that was. So when I read it, I realized, you know what? This pastor's right. So I went back the next Sunday. And now, instead of him kind of just, you know, going to another passage or another theme or topic, he has more of them. So if that wasn't enough from last week, now he's got more. And I remember breaking. I came up to an altar and I said, okay, Lord, teach me. This passage reminds me of that. No, Lord, I don't, I don't want to come back to that church. I don't like that pastor. I don't like all those scripture passages. I'm going to prove them wrong. But there was a change of mind. There was a change of, of attitude. God's word can help us to change our minds, to change our attitudes if we're open to that. Are you open to God messing with your theology if that's what's needed? Do we come into church already with our minds made up about what that's going to look like? Or could it be that, you know what, even, even this morning you're upset, you're mad, you're confused, you're distraught. You know, you just kind of just, this is not, not jiving with you. I would say that no matter when we get together and you leave this place, have an openness. Take everything I say and go get in the scripture and test it out. And look at it from a Genesis to Revelation interpretation. Don't just, don't just look at the passage in, in, in a sliver. Look at all of it. You know what I believe about the word of God is that it's really good and it stands on its own. I just believe that. I believe that we can trust it. I believe that no matter if you're upset about something, it's fine. Struggle with God. You know what I love about God is that we can even get upset with him. How many of you guys have been upset with God? God, I don't like that. You'll see it in the scripture where there's struggle that happens between man and God. One of the best things I could ever tell you in that struggle is that it's, it's okay to struggle with God. It's okay to struggle. It's, it's okay to even get upset. That's good. It means you're alive. It means you care. But take that struggle to prayer. And take that struggle and weigh it against the word. And would you commit this to me? Com commit it to the Lord. Forget me. Commit it to the Lord. That you'll always allow his word and his will to prevail over and above your struggle. He gets the last say-so in that struggle. Lord, I don't understand. Lord, I'm having a hard time. But not my will. But your will be done. This, this, this son says, no, I'm not going to go work in your vineyard. I'm not doing it. But there's a change of mind. There's a change of heart. There's a change of direction. And in the end, they go and do it. He likens these people 
to the prostitute, to the corrupt tax collector. These people didn't start off living right. They didn't start off this way. But there was a change of heart. There's a change of mind. There was repentance. Jesus says it. That when John the Baptist came, you were refusing to believe and and you would not repent. I don't know that that's even preached among Christians enough. I mean, guys, honestly, there are times when we need to repent. You're a Christian this morning? Great. There might be things you need to repent about. If there's an issue in your relationship with your spouse, there's times where it's applicable, where it's necessary that you can say to your spouse, you know what, I'm sorry. I need to change that. There's some husbands in here. Man, you've been the priest of your home. And it's appropriate for you to say, you know what, I need to repent. I've repented of the Lord and I need to have a meeting with my family and say, guys, I've not been the husband. I have not been the dad that I need to be spiritually and I'm sorry. With God's grace, I'm going to change that. And then there's a change not only of attitude and mind and, and heart, there's a change in actions. You could be somebody that, man, you, you need to repent to a brother or a sister here in the congregation. That maybe there were some words that were spoken or something that happened and there's a rift in the relationship. It's okay to actually go to a brother, to a sister. This is what the Christian should be doing if these things happen. Or we say, you know what? I sinned against you and I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? I've had people before come up and they say, you know, pastor, I've had this in my heart towards you and I'm sorry. And to me, that's, man, that's the sign that, man, God is doing something good in your life. God is doing some good things in our church. It didn't start out right. But let me say this. If you have one of these this morning. Good, it's moving. If it's not moving, we'll call an ambulance for you. That guy's pulsing. There's a chance. There's an opportunity for me to make something right. The devil would have you to believe that, man, it's going to be too hard to do it. But you can't do it. You wait, put it off. You do it another Sunday. What are people going to think about me if I, I've been going to the church for a thousand years. And if I were to go to a brother, if I were to go to a sister or the pastor, if I, what would they think about me? Can you imagine these Pharisees? Jesus, well, I gotta say something. I can't speak for my friends here. But the truth that you're espousing this, this day, I wanna say I'm sorry. Could you imagine what that could have looked like? Could you imagine what, how that story could have changed? Jesus, I'm sorry. I, I've had, we've had pride. You should hear some of the things we've said about you. They're terrible. In fact, I'm gonna start naming them. Oh, no, he didn't. <laughs> I'm, I can't speak. I can speak for me. I'm sorry. We should be good at saying that. We should get in the habit of humility. But sometimes people just don't want to do that. And this is why walls are 
built up. And this is why the church doesn't move forward. And I'm not talking about the church. I'm talking about the church. You maybe didn't start off the right way. But there's still an opportunity for you to rectify it. You know, this morning, it's God's grace, it's kindness that he extends to each individual this morning. And that good introspection we were talking about a little while ago, that if that's taking place in an individual this morning, that you're recognizing that grace and that truth as valuable. And it's something that's not just for brother or sister so-and-so, it's for me. And it's been a long time since I've been on an altar. It's been a long time since I've had a real time with God. I can't remember the last time. As the praise and worship team are coming, if you feel this morning, if you can feel God, it's been a long time since you felt God. It's been a long time since you sensed him. It's been a long time since word was able to penetrate your heart. And this morning, there's even just a glimmer. If there's just even just a, a, just a dull sense of, of what God is doing here this morning, would, would you just recognize that as his kindness and his grace, as his prompting to you this morning? The God of the universe doesn't have to do this, but he does. And he does it because he loves you. He does it because he sees the possibilities. And he's not at all focused on all your liabilities or else he wouldn't be doing this. To the contrary, he's, he's revealing these things so that we can give them over, so that we can surrender them to his grace. And in doing so, we can embrace his power and his strength and his love and his mercy. I'd like us to bow our heads and Lights are going to come down. We're going to go to prayer this morning. There were two kinds of people in this passage this morning. And there are two kinds of people in this place similarly. And I don't know how God has spoken to each individual. It's personal. But what we know is that this morning, he has spoken. And we get to decide what we want to do with truth. We get to decide what we want to do moving forward. And this opportunity that you have before you it's God's kindness. It's his mercy. It's another opportunity for us. And as the musicians play and they're going to sing a song, if you feel led, you, that, you sense that holy nudge. He's given you a true reflection of you. And there's some things looking back that need to be reconciled. And I'm going to invite you to come and to pray. And the God of the universe will minister to you and he'll make you whole.
This morning, Lord God, I believe that there are some people that got help. You helped them. And you're going to continue to help them. You're going to continue to do something good and new and fresh, something exciting, something life-giving. And we're grateful, Lord, and we thank you for them. We thank you for the good work that you're going to do in them and through them. We thank you, Lord God, for those people who maybe are wrestling, struggling, processing. We pray, God, a blessing upon them that as they struggle with you, they get in your word and they take it to your throne, that they'd be able to find peace, the peace that surpasses all understanding, that they'd be able to make peace with the truth, and that they would allow your truth to prevail. God, for those people who are addicted to truth, who want more truth, who are faithful with truth, who take that truth and they spread it everywhere they go, would you give them a double portion of your Holy Spirit that they would be able to go out and to change the world? Wherever they go, the sphere of influence that you have granted to them, that they'd be able to make a difference. And I frankly pray that for all of us. We'd be able to take the good thing that you've done in us and we'd be able to glorify you with it. And as we're getting ready to go in different directions, Lord God, we pray for your blessing to be upon our people, upon those families, those marriages, those individuals they'd be able to know that you're with them, that you love them. We love you this morning and we thank you. And we pray all these things then in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said. Give the Lord praise this morning. Amen. 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 On your way out, find someone you haven't said hi to and go greet them and, and you're dismissed. Have a great day, a great week.